Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. Welcome back to the Into the Well podcast. On this episode, I go it alone and share a recent journey in the forest with uh, plant medicines and what it is to do an isolation dieta and what that process is like. I share about my discovery of my inner child and starting to develop that relationship, the importance of defining your dream, purpose, and mission in life. And I also share a poem in the end. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Welcome back for another solo episode. I've been feeling like I needed to record one for a little bit of time now, but the last month has been fairly challenging on a personal level, so it took me a bit of time to feel settled and grounded enough and even to have the clarity to know what I felt like talking about or where I felt like taking it. It's been about a month since I finished a week-long isolation dieta which is a ayahuasca ceremony that um, includes working with another teacher plant, uh, includes some isolation in a forest, four days of fasting, and three nights of ceremonies. It's a pretty intense process to go through. Um, It's something that people usually get into once they've been working with these medicines for a little bit of time. And um, it's the yeah it's the third one I've done now. So the last three summers I've done these these special ceremonies, and each one has been an absolutely incredible experience in itself. And I'm gonna share a little bit about what this is and and my experience this time, as it sort of leads me into the rest of the topics and pieces that I wanted to share in this episode. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what isolation dieta is uh, with my sort of limited knowledge and understanding and experience. And whether or not you're interested in working with ayahuasca or plants or things like this, or even going on a Vipassana silent meditation retreat, I think that it's interesting. (laughs) And only a few years ago, it's something I knew absolutely nothing about. So it's just cool to know what other types of modalities and experiences are out there because it's something I never knew about uh, until the spring of 2017. And now it's been, it'll be three years this September that I've been working with this this medicine and the community that I got introduced to. And I don't want to, you know, sound too, too crazy about it, but it really is one of the most amazing things that I've experienced in my lifetime. And I feel so blessed and so lucky to have found people that work with this medicine with integrity, that I found it myself and was in a place where I was ready enough for it, that I was 
had the spiritual courage for it, that I had the enough ability to surrender to the experience, to allow myself into it and to connect with the plants in a way that's been just extremely beneficial and really, really helped me grow. And it's not just the the ceremonies and the plants, their tools and modalities just like breath work, meditation, yoga, you know, mindfulness in general, even athletics and sport, moving our bodies, being in relationships, all of these things all contribute to to growth and healing if we so choose them to serve that purpose, to go into it with intention. But of course, when you're going and doing something like a Vipassana or ayahuasca ceremony, it's just more of an extreme experience. So the chances are you really are bringing that intention to it as opposed to sitting down to eat dinner where it's such a conditioned experience that it's hard to bring that same sort of intention, but the potential and opportunity is still there. So while I am sort of praising the benefits and um, my experience with, with these medicines, it really is you know, the daily work, the daily meditations, when the challenges arise in real life, using the lessons from ceremony to make a new choice is where the absolute real lasting growth comes from. That said, without these medicines, without the shamans and facilitators and safe space to do this work, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. And the person that I am wouldn't be coming out of its old shell in the same way that it is now. And I feel so, so grateful for that because it's, you know, this community and this medicine has helped me become more of a man, become more of the radical man that I want to be. And it's also really helped me relearn how to love, which is a big theme of this recent experience and what's been going on in my life over the last couple of years, but really shining a brighter spotlight onto it in the last couple of months, especially. So I will uh, briefly outline a little bit about the process of medicine to give some context for what I'm talking about. Generally speaking, if you're going to do an ayahuasca ceremony, you know, they say that the ceremony begins when you decide that you want to do it. And then when you sign up for it, you know, then you're starting to prepare for it in a more subconscious way. But you have that opportunity to start preparing more deeply ahead of time. From there, there's usually about a three week out from the the first ceremony. You start cleaning up your diet, taking certain things out and just preparing your body and mind and heart to be the most sort of clean and open vessel for this process. For sort of regular ceremonies, you might do, some people do one night, but it's more common to do two nights in a row or three or four nights in a row. Some people do more than that, but that's been my experience. And so you're usually doing the medicine at nighttime, staying up for most of the night, resting the next day, eating some food, maybe have a sharing circle or getting some support from the the shaman or the practitioners about what you experienced the night before, helping you sort of process and integrate that information and then resetting a new intention and going back the next night 
and then potentially doing this for a few nights. So while it's pretty intense and draining physically and emotionally, you are being able to eat the next day, connect with other people, share, and have that experience. With the isolation diet or dieta, um, so the diet or dieta piece of it is the idea is that you're dieting uh, a secondary plant along with working with the ayahuasca. So in the whole plant world, there's hundreds and thousands of plants and they all have their own characteristics and personalities and qualities. And there's a class of sort of teacher plants and also healing plants that will help sort of work in certain physical ways, be it your lungs or your digestion or with parasites, or it could be more of an emotional, emotionally specific thing, like working with a, a specific chakra. For instance, rose is a common plant to diet, and it's the highest vibrational plant in the, in the kingdom. And it's often considered a plant to work with with your heart and the sort of vibration and the energy with that plant is very expansive and connecting and heart opening. But then you've also sort of got the, the thorns associated with the rose as well. And so it can be prickly and challenging in its own ways. A lot of the other plants are more sort of, you're working with the root of a plant. So it can be more cool, more earthy, and more in the sort of root chakra, the sacral chakra. And so there's a lot of ways to navigate which plants to work with. And sometimes people plan this a year in advance and they grow the plant themselves and harvest it on a full moon and prepare it to diet during this week. Or you might wait until the day the ceremony begins and see what plants are there and which one you feel a connection with. Um, it's been a very interesting process in itself just to feel which plants I've been called to and to work with them and be open to changing my mind and not getting too attached to whatever plant I think I might want to be dieting. So once you choose that, you start this week-long ceremony by um, having a, an ayahuasca ceremony. And um, halfway through the ceremony, you will drink your secondary teacher plant and there'll be specific chants or songs that sort of open your diet and introduce your body and spiritual system to this new plant. And very viscerally, you can feel this plant sort of entering into you and your electromagnetic field into your physical body. And it can be extreme, it can be subtle, but it's definitely noticeable. And then by the end of the ceremony, you are finishing up in the morning, and then you've set up a tent nearby, um, and you go out to your tent, and or I go out to my tent, and spend the next four nights and five days in my tent alone with no other people in a little patch of forest about 10 feet by 15 feet or so. Um, a little chair, hammock in my tent and a journal and that's it. Once a day you might get checked on or brought a, a cup of the teacher plant which is never a, a psychoactive plant. All these plants like sage, rose, um, uchosanango, um, 
there's a whole variety and they're they're not psychoactive plants so it's very subtle in how they they work with you outside of the ceremony and often you're supposed to pay attention to your dreams and what comes up in that process so you're drinking this plant in these nights when you're alone um you're not eating for these four days which is a you know massive challenge in itself um the days are long so it's 16 18 hours of sunlight and it feels like the sun sets for for five or six hours at at times and over this time you're um meditating uh journaling you know keeping your intention close to your heart and also just trying to manage yourself my process over these three experiences has been evolving and changing and it's been interesting to go from the first time when i did it and it was you know, thinking of every food I could ever want to eat to crying and asking myself, what the hell am I doing out here? And and now this time, the food fantasies are very limited. It's very much about connecting to the forest, to the nature, breathing in the fresh air, and catching myself when I start to sort of spiral into those those places where I'm questioning why I'm here, what's going on, you know, all those sort of you know, thoughts about food. How long is this day going to last? There's a million places you can go, but trying to keep top of mind for me this time was very much like remembering that there's nowhere else I wanted to be. I'd been looking forward to alone time. I'd been looking forward to nature time. And I had plenty of that on my hands. And the temperature was nice. There wasn't really any mosquitoes, didn't rain. And just trying to be grateful for all of those things. And I was, and it was beautiful. I had a great little spot in the forest. And after four days, you get a uh, bowl of goopy, bland, overcooked oats. And it's the most amazing thing you can imagine eating. Um, and uh, so then you get a couple days of, of that. And then you come back in the sixth night to do a ceremony in the ceremony space. And it's pretty intense because you start to realize how much of an altered state you're already in from lack of sleep, lack of food, a lot of time just alone, a lot of time with your mind and hopefully in your body. That was a big sort of intention for me this time around was to stay in my body as much as possible and not let my mind run the show and also not try and clamp down on my mind. Let my mind be, but stay in my body, feel the sensations and that's where, you know, peace is. Our bodies are constantly looking for harmony and homeostasis and they want to heal, they want to regenerate, but it's our minds that sort of cause the tension and the chronic unwellness and unrest that we experience each day. It's not our bodies. Um, so just trying to fall into it and be with that peace that our body is constantly trying to find and it's a beautiful thing when we can experience that even for a few minutes so then the sixth night usually very intense because you're sort of weak you're in this altered state already and then you bring in the ayahuasca and it's very powerful it's very potent um you still you don't talk to anyone you kind of aren't supposed to make contact eye contact or speak to anyone this whole process sort of an idea of it is that you're becoming a plant and you're connecting with your plant and that's the sort of realm that you're in it's not so much about the human realm not so much about that and then after that night 
when you're able to walk again, you go back out to your tent, spend the day, and then come back in for one final night where they again do a special chant and song where they close the diet. And it sort of infuses and galvanizes that relationship with that specific plant into your into your soul, into your heart, into your body. Um, and it's quite beautiful. Um, and while it's the sort of marking of the end of that ceremony, it very much feels like the beginning of a relationship. And every time I've done this process, it's always been that way in varying degrees and intensities, but it's very much the beginning and a deepening and it's it's really beautiful it's just unbelievable the subtle wisdom that every plant around us has and this process has really just made me so grateful for for all of these living beings around us each day the trees that are giving us air and oxygen and filtering the pollution that we're pumping out into our environments and all the things that these plants do for us so that's a very brief description of what this isolation dieta actually is. Um, now, what did I experience is very, uh, was very intense. Um, I was going in with almost too many intentions, I feel like, in, in retrospect. But a big piece of it, carrying on from some of the last lessons and things I've been sharing about, this sort of deep sadness I've been feeling and carrying, I had a feeling as I sort of have been processing this in the months leading up to it, that there was some deep inner child emerging. Um, and I've been getting messages about working with my inner child for a couple of years, really, through the different work I'd done with Mark Wolin, through meditation, through past plant medicine ceremonies. But recently it had been coming up more and more strong. And so as I'd been sort of trying to get through different bits of anger. I knew there was this deep sort of child sadness that I'd been repressing for years and years. And it, it had come up a little bit here and there, but it was on the last day before the, the sixth night. So I guess it was the sixth day, um, after four days of fasting and five days of being in isolation, I fell into this deep meditation where I really met my inner child face to face and this this little Ryan was about 10 years old, 10, 11 years old. And it was really interesting because as I saw this boy emerge from sort of the shadows of, within me in this meditation, um, I sort of was asking, like, who are you? And he told me his name is Michael, which is my middle name. And uh, the sort of interesting parallel there is that I've always disliked the my middle name, Michael, and sort of banished it from my own sort of idea of my personal brand. It's just like a bland name that everyone of my age either has as their first name or middle name. And it just felt like very unspecial. Um, and I kind of rejected it. And the parallel there is that I've suppressed and rejected this inner child and piece of myself for many years as well. So it was interesting to feel and see the reemergence of my inner child taking on my middle name. And this meditation lasted about 30 or 40 minutes. And we had a conversation and it was very unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And this was just off of 
isolation and fasting, no medicine involved in this. Well, no direct medicine, um, not in the ceremony space itself. And so my inner child was just telling me what had been going on. And he was, you know, just felt so happy that I was seeing him. He had felt just abandoned and lost. And he just, he wasn't angry at me. Um, He just felt so happy to not be in the depths of some deep corner that I'd stuffed him away. And I sort of began to discover that it was um, due to me processing this anger and letting that go, releasing that, getting some of the sadness out that he felt safe enough to reemerge. And it was sort of this process of me taking him out of my stomach where all of my sort of trauma is stored. Um, I've realized in my sort of sacral and root chakras that that's where Michael had been. Um, my 10-year-old self. And so it was this process of taking him out of my stomach, out of this root chakra area, and putting him back in my heart. And it just brought tears to my eyes, began pouring down. And it was really beautiful, um, but also sad in a way. And I really had to sort of ask for forgiveness. Um, I felt terrible that I had done this to myself. And so this was just a really potent, powerful meditation and connection to get before going into ceremony. And the rest of the the couple nights was a big sort of continuation of this theme more than anything else. And that night and the following night was really just pulling at that thread and, and really realizing that I just didn't feel safe being myself and still don't in many ways. And this was a direct correlation as well to one of the major and main themes in No More Mr. Nice Guy is just the fact that we don't feel safe being ourselves. And Dr. Glover speaks about it in that book with regards to the nice guy sort of paradigm. But really, it's a universal thing. Men, women, nice guys, mean guys, whatever you want to call yourself, the conditioning that we receive and the programming that we get from our parents and our society really does reaffirm throughout our lives that it's not generally safe to be ourselves. So we adopt behaviors and defense mechanisms to try and keep ourselves as safe as we can, to get as much love as we can through whatever method we learn to do that. And um, it was just really eye-opening to feel this in my body. And that is probably another takeaway from working with with ayahuasca specifically that I just feel is so magical about the process of this medicine is that you can intellectually learn and see and understand what's happened, like the idea of not feeling safe being yourself, but then you can actually have an embodied experience of it. And then you can also flip that 180 and feel in that moment what it would be like to be safe, to be yourself fully. And that sort of process can elapse over hours on a good night. And realistically, if you achieve that on one piece of yourself in 10 years of therapy, you're doing better than most people. So that's where it's, you know, 10 years of therapy in one night has been this like saying about these plant medicines. And that's not always the case, but the potential for that to 
not only intellectualize this idea that we're not safe being ourselves, but to then feel it and then to 180 that belief and feeling into I am safe being myself and I can feel safe and then to feel an embodied experience of what it's like to feel safe and feel love, unconditional love is just unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable. And it, you know, that, that feeling does stick with you beyond the ceremony, but it takes work to fully integrate that as well. It's not a, it's not a magic fix that happens in one night, but what it allows you to accomplish down that road to healing is just so drastic and so potent. Um, it does, it does carry on into your life and it's a feeling you don't forget, especially if you work at not forgetting it. So, um, for me, yes, it was understanding. I don't feel safe and, you know, understanding like, why don't I feel safe and getting to the point where I could feel I was really terrified at the idea or thought of losing love and not knowing why. And I could see the different times in my life when this had happened. And that led me to understand that I didn't trust love. I didn't trust love. I didn't trust it to not go away. And I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust others. And that was really powerful to understand that I didn't trust love. And then I could go and ask myself, ask the plants, ask my heart, what would it feel like to trust love unconditionally, to trust love. And I became clear on this, you know, understanding and feeling that how much I had have learned to regulate how much love comes in. And, you know, I use the example of my parents probably because it's the, the easiest and, you know, most universal. But even from them, you know, I only have allowed their love to come in if I felt like I deserved it. And that would be based on some condition of me doing a good job in my career, eating all the food on my plate as a kid, batting four for four in a little league game, um, whatever it is, I just like created all of these different conditions. And only when I did that or accomplished those or checked those boxes, did I allow some of that love to come through. It had nothing to do with them unconditionally loving me 100% of the time, whether they were or they weren't. It was how I internalized it. And trying to, I almost imagine it as like a door that I've shut and I like open it a little bit here, open it a little bit there, maybe a little bit wider more recently. But now I'm consciously trying to just open that door and keep it open. And it's pretty challenging, um, as I've found in the last month since, since finishing this um, ceremony and coming back to everyday life. Uh, it's hard. But it's so worthwhile, and when it when I do do it, it is amazing and it's life changing. And so, a big thing I'm working on is trying to trust love again. And as much as the example with my parents is is very good example of that, it's really about trusting the love within myself. And all those conditions are things that I've created within myself, and it's letting go of those and just letting the love pour over them. And not trying to damn that love, not trying to block that love. 
because it's always here and it's always around us. And it's something I've known, but I really got a lot more clear on how I have regulated that love. So the more I can learn to trust love, the more I can learn to trust myself. And as I integrate this little Ryan and my inner child, the more I can trust him and he can trust me. And I think that's a big reason why I sort of put little Ryan away is that I couldn't trust expressing myself fully. I couldn't, if I was upset and I started crying, I learned that that wasn't okay. And if I danced bad and somebody made fun of me, then that wasn't okay. If I said something stupid in class, then that wasn't okay. So it was just lesson after lesson on how I couldn't trust myself and how I needed to edit myself. And now it's just relearning how to trust myself, love myself, and honor my own expression. And it's pretty tough. Um, But I feel like I'm taking a step each day and going down that path. I came out of it excited about all this stuff. And as I stepped back into my um, daily life, I was meted with a a harsh reality that it wasn't going to be as easy of a journey as I had hoped it might be. And things with my relationship with my girlfriend were, were challenging and tense and things with work became challenging and tense as I tried to catch up and push forward projects I'm excited about, try to build the career that I want um, and envision for myself. But there's a lot of groundwork there and This whole process also just created a super heightened sensitivity in myself. Um, And that's often the case with working with these plants and combine that with isolation and fasting. And it just puts you in a very, very sensitive place. So dealing with uh, challenges in my relationship, challenges in my own relationship with myself and my food and food choices and overeating and the self-judgment that comes with that challenges with my career, challenges with the world as a whole, just with what's going on with the COVID and the social and racial issues. And as I've sort of seen more of that and how these things have exposed more cracks in our society, been watching more documentaries, and that's just been, you know, increasingly almost disheartening and overwhelming. And It's almost made me feel depressed, which then makes it very hard to manage myself with regards to eating habits, which is something I love to beat myself up over. And so it's just like this tornado of heightened sensitivity and overwhelm. And that just like devastated my energy levels and has made the last few weeks really challenging to be productive, to stay positive, to integrate all of these lessons and you know the deeper I get into these core beliefs of I'm not safe being myself or there's something wrong with me it's harder to change them it is you know they're not the low-hanging fruit anymore these are core fundamental beliefs that I've had and developed since I was very young and it's been you know three and a half decades of living and reaffirming these beliefs. So to change them in this state of stress is really challenging. To overcome them, to change them 180 from 
it's not safe to be myself to it's completely safe to express myself however I need to. Um, especially when met with the sort of depressing state of our culture and society, the challenges of this career transition I've been in, the challenges in a intimate relationship, um, family relationship, uh, having sort of a lack of community myself uh, in, in L.A., in terms of group of friends, not being able to go to the gym, not being able to use some of the self-care methods like massage or float tanks or things that I enjoy and like doing. It just feels like it's a pressure cooker of just being really exposed. And this increased level of sensitivity has been really tough because it affects me physically by the foods that I eat. Some, like, some things I used to really enjoy are just too spicy now. I can't even eat them. It almost hurts my mouth. Um, watching a documentary on Netflix is beyond educational. It actually hurts my heart and soul to understand and learn more about how our sort of capitalist society and government and value system is so twisted and backwards. Um, and it's important to see and learn these things, but it's hard to feel them. Um, and then to formulate some way of navigating them on a personal level and doing something about them action-wise. So I feel like I'm a little bit rambling in different directions here, but hopefully that makes some sense. But when life gets hard, when things get stressful, um, I'm increasingly able to see how I revert to past self-limiting habits and beliefs and looking for escape and comfort in sports or food or just distracting wasted time on the internet, shopping, even just if I'm not buying anything, looking at things that I don't need rather than taking the steps that I know I want to. But it takes some serious discipline, courage, and self-love to keep that. So that's where I think it's really important to start to establish like a tier, different tiers of non-negotiable practices. So while I came out of these ceremonies wanting to change my diet and habits there, um, it became really hard to make some of those changes as I felt really stressed, really low energy. And, you know, at that point having, okay, well, I know I'm not going to eat these foods so even if I'm going to eat a bit of popcorn, I know I'm still at like a base level of health for what I'm putting in my body that's acceptable. I'm maybe not going to uh, run a marathon, but I'm able to do a little bit of exercise each day still. I'm able to get on the foam roller each day. I'm able to do my meditation practice. If it's not the 30-minute version, at least the 10-minute version. Um if I'm not going to be able to go to a float tank or get a massage, I'm at least able to take a five-minute cold shower or do a couple rounds of Wim Hof breathing. If I'm not able to join a run club or do something like that, I'm at least able to call my brother or call a friend. You know, So it's like there's a base level of practices that you can develop and establish that foundation that will really help to keep grounded. And I found that that's definitely been the case for me as much as I've struggled at times the last few 
weeks, I've been able to maintain a meditation practice and I've been able to bounce back with a good day of healthy eating, uh, maybe getting a better sleep, um, things like that. Just nurturing myself at a foundational level so that I don't spiral out of control too much. Another huge actual tool for that is um, using a pipe and mapacho, which is a cured tobacco that's really uh, clean and pure and has no, no chemicals, it's organic. And growing up, smoking is something I never did. I've never smoked a cigarette. My parents were super anti-smoking did a lot of work, pro bono work for anti-smoking campaigns. And so it was very much drilled into me how bad that was. So it was a very interesting process to develop a new relationship with tobacco through the medicine community, through the ceremonies, um, learning how it's used for prayer, um, doing a pipe ceremony a couple times here in LA as well, and learning the traditions with that and how the Lakota people have worked with it uh, amongst other Native American tribes. And so this week in the forest was the first time I actually got a pipe and the shaman opened it for me. And so I started working with Mapacho and it's been a really beautiful relationship in this short period of time. And I've found it's something that is really helpful for, again, if I start to sort of spiral or feel down or beating myself up, I can go put a little bit of tobacco in the pipe, put a little bit on the ground, use it to make a prayer, to give gratitude. And a little bit of that tobacco can really help to sort of balance my mind and help me feel grounded and centered. And from that place, it's much easier to make a better choice. And I feel grateful for that. And it's been really helpful. And it's been an interesting thing to step into. And... Yeah, it's, it's a powerful, powerful tool. It's a powerful plant. Uh, it's often said that if, if most shamans could choose any plant in the whole plant kingdom to work with in terms of ceremony and healing, tobacco would be the one. It's kind of the top master plant of all of them. And um, I feel grateful to start to step into this relationship with, with this plant in my own practices. And um, it's been helpful. It's been helpful for sure. Another um, little bit of a breakthrough I find in this whole process um, and this increased sensitivity to to my own inner child, to my relationship with myself as an adult, as a 35-year-old man, as a white man in North America, to our society, culturally, racially, you know, in all of these different ways, the, the pain of the world, my relationship with nature um, or lack of connection, you know, with the plant and animal world over the years and trying to increase that and certainly taking strides for sure has just been sort of cracking me open in this way where I feel more sensitive across the board, um, which is challenging. It's challenging to feel the pain in my heart and soul. But it's also eye-opening to reevaluate where I stand and what my values are. And I think beyond that, what is my purpose? What is my mission? What is my dream in this lifetime? Um, 
And I know that these things are important. Most of the mentors and coaches I look up to and have learned from truly emphasize how important it is to have a mission, a dream, or a purpose. And to work towards that, we do need to be clear on what our values are. And through that, we can know what we're fighting for. Um, I feel like, personally, I want to be a warrior for love. I want to be a warrior for self-love and for connection because I feel like that is the the absolute root of well-being as an individual, but well-being as a family, as a community, as a part of this living organism that is planet Earth and all the living things on it. It starts with ourselves. It starts with self-love. And the more that we can do that, the more that we can give back, the more that we can connect and inspire. And being a warrior for that feels very worthwhile to me. But beyond that, I haven't really taken the time to flesh out what my true mission and purpose and dream is. I got clear that I want to create with love, but that leaves the door very much open for any sort of career path, for any sort of mission, for any sort of way of achieving that and communicating that. So the next step for me is going to be figuring that out. What am I here for? What am I going to do? What is my legacy going to be? And coming at that from a place that is inspired by love more so, I think that the ego is a little bit required because to dream big and be ambitious, our ego has to fuel that a little bit. And that's a good thing. And that's something I have shied away from in the last few years. Every time I come up with an idea or a pitch or a business concept, I find myself tempering it and editing it and being like, oh, well, here's like the cheap, easy version or here's the less ambitious version, assuming that people are going to be more okay with that. But I'm ready to start dreaming big again and just fucking going for it. And why not? Because that's the only way it's ever going to happen. And I feel like the first step for me is just to stop editing the big dream. Just allow that to be a possibility. Just allow that huge ambition to be there. Don't put a lid on it. And so I'm trying to step into that as well. And it feels exciting because truly anything is possible. And, you know, there's people in the world doing absolutely amazing things, be it sharing wisdom through a book or creating foundations, starting brands that inspire. I mean, it's it's endless, the opportunities we just have to allow those opportunities to come through us and and they're there. So I find it very daunting to try and define a purpose, a mission, or a dream for myself and create those values, probably because then I need to be responsible and accountable to them. And I need to make a choice and choices each day that are in alignment with them. And as much as it's easy not to have those things defined and not have to be accountable... You know, then it's easier to eat something I shouldn't or take a day off of meditating or whatever, whatever the distraction is, um, be okay with it rather than be inspired to take action to fuel the dream. I know that that's what I have to do. I have to do it. There's no other way forward at this point. Um, so that's what's next on the to-do list for me. And it's a bit daunting, but that said... These ideas of what our purpose, our mission, our dream are, 
these are evolving things. They don't need to stay the same. Our goals never need to stay the same. Nothing in this whole world in lifetime stays the same. So I think it's important as a North Star to set these these out so that we know what we're shooting for, we know what our values are, and we know why we're going to be a warrior, why we're gonna, what we're going to fight for, and what we're not going to fight for. And having those priorities clear is going to allow us to be more efficient. And I like the idea of trying to be as much of the, the sharp end of the sword that is pointedly going into battle rather than a dull machete blindly hacking around trying to accomplish something more aimlessly. But it's going to take some uh, discipline and self-love and commitment to do it. But like I said, it's the only way forward. And to do that, we need to be able to get quiet. We need to be able to get clear. And I feel that whatever that mission is, it's already within me. All the wisdom that I need, all the wisdom that any of us need, is already within ourselves. And it's just this process of deconditioning and relearning what's already in us that allows us to get clear with those things, which is a funny idea. Um, You know, we come into this world as these pure spiritual beings, and then we spend a couple of decades just getting messed up, getting dirty, getting unclear, getting twisted up, getting internalizing incorrect ideas of what love is and what it means. And as we become adults, we have the opportunity to clean off this conditioning, clean off the dirt that we've accumulated and become that pure spiritual being again, but with an increased sense of responsibility and accountability that comes with being an adult with life experience. And that's where an absolutely fulfilling and rich and beautiful life can exist by combining these sort of engagement and purpose of a warrior with the beauty, innocence, joy of a child, of our inner child, of the pure beings that we all are. And really, I feel like, you know, if I had a goal for this sort of inner spiritual personal work, that's really what it is. And it can happen each day. And there'll certainly be milestones, but there's never really an end point. So trying to enjoy the milestones, enjoy when it's good, embrace the challenge, embrace the adversity when it arises, and just live each day as its own life. I was recently talking to a friend who I'm going to have on the podcast soon, and he was uh, he's a like a dream coach, essentially. And he was saying how some cultures view going to sleep at night is a death and each day is an opportunity to be reborn and then die and then we dream and then we're able to be reborn again and each day so in that sense would be an opportunity to to do the most that we can to be the best that we can to also start fresh again to be better than we were yesterday um and just do the best that we can really now back to sort of one of my biggest, you know, challenges in this heightened level of sensitivity, be it to the inner child, to relating to food and to the world is through my body. Um, I've talked about it before. I've written about it on the website before as well. And it's just so interesting 
the complexity of the relationship to my body. When I know how I want to feel, I know what feels good. And to continually do things that stop me from feeling that way, um, be it overeating or eating popcorn too much or eating some pizza or whatever it is, there's a variety of degrees. And if I'm you know honest with myself and give myself a little bit of conditional love, um, I do a thousand times better than I did a couple of years ago, a million times better than a few years before that. And so I have to be grateful and forgive myself. But one of the things that's been really challenging in this process is just grappling with the reality that I am the one who's been holding myself back. I'm the one who's hurt myself more than anyone else. And that's hard. That's hard to just sit in and feel and understand that it's, you know, I'm the one who's done the most harm to me. And it's just a little bit sad to reckon with that. And the reality is I keep doing it on a certain level. So rather than use the same methods of measuring the success with what I'm putting in my body, be it supplements or foods or not food, lack of food, whatever it is, something I became very clear on in this uh, ceremony and my time in isolation is that we don't heal our bodies. We heal our mind and the body will follow. So as much as I've been focused on healing my body through all these external methods and, and even internal methods, I'm really trying to take a shift now into healing my mind and healing these beliefs. And there's a sacral chakra mantra that I had written in my journal a couple of years ago now that I rediscovered that's been really helpful for, for bringing some love to myself and changing my thinking around this. Uh, it's on the website, so I'll include a link in the show notes. But but if anybody out there is challenging with, with self-love, for appreciating your body, for loving your physical and emotional self, I highly recommend reading this mantra, reading it out loud to yourself daily if possible. It's, you know, like a mindfulness practice, I find its power is exponential. The more I do it, the more I embody it, the more I can feel it, the more I can feel the shifts happening. And so I'm excited for that, but it still is a challenging process. Um, before going into ceremony, I was diving pretty deeply into Joe Dispenza's work and it's taken me four weeks since the ceremony, but I'm finally getting back to his meditations, listening to some podcasts with him, his, his programs on Gaia, and also Bruce Lipton, who has kind of gotten into the whole quantum field and his book, um, I think it's called Biology of Belief. Might've got those words mixed up, but it's something like that. And it's really about how our consciousness creates our experience. And if we're unaware, it's going to be our subconscious that creates that experience. And that is going to be running the old programs that are going to hold us back. So we really do need to increase our awareness to change old patterns and put our intention and energy into consciously co-creating the reality and experience that we want. And that was something I got from a, a recent podcast with Bruce Lipton that was really cool and just listening to these guys explain the process, explain what's going on um, is inspiring, at least to me, because 
it makes me feel more in control. It makes me feel like, yes, I can do this. I'm not a victim to anything at all, really. And the more I can increase my consciousness and make better choices and focus on the the future that I want to create for myself, it is 100% possible. And I've got a blank piece of paper in front of me right now that says, what do I want? And I, you know, it's a part of the idea of getting clear on my mission and my dream um, is getting clear on what it is I want. And I'm going to fill that out this week. Maybe I'll share a picture on, on Instagram or something once I do. But even just thinking in my mind about some of the things I know I do want, I feel a sense of power, a surge of belief, a surge of inspiration in a way. And that's just a taste of what's possible. So I'm certainly going to be leaning back into Joe Dispenza and Bruce Limpton and and really trying to embrace this work because it's the deepest form of sort of science meets spirituality um, with practical meditation practices that really allow us to to change our reality and to consciously be co-creators in this experience, which is, you know, the beautiful opportunity that we have. Um, Like I said before, our bodies are already trying to find that. It's our minds that we need to really mold and work with in a way to get them in alignment with these beliefs with our vision. Um, and there's so many ways to explore this, be it like a vision board or mood board or journaling. Um, the, uh, there's tons of free ways as well. You know, like many of these things that are the hardest to do, they're often free. And that means we just have to rely on ourselves. Nobody else can do it for us. But when we do do it, it's that much more empowering and so I encourage everyone to to think about that, to check out some of these people's work, to begin to understand the power that each of us have as individuals. Because when we realize we have that power as individuals, what kind of power does that mean we have as a community? What kind of power do we have to change the failings of our modern society to support others around us no matter what they look like um to support nature around us no matter if it's a plant growing out of the sidewalk or a forest or a river you know all of these things are in symbiotic balance and life with us and they give us life and nourish us and we need to give them life and nourish them just as much We can't do anything on our own and it's important to, to do what we can. And at times I think we have to, you know, allow that feeling of overwhelm of like, damn, how am I going to, you know, fix nature, heal the oceans and change the fishing industry or find what the best diet for me is that gives me the most life force energy, but also is relatively supportive to agriculture, to animals, to plants. Um, What is that balance? What can I do? What can I grow in my yard? How can I become more connected to the animals that I eat um, and give praise to them as well? 
Uh, I've been reading this book by Charles Eisenstein called The Yoga of Eating. I'm only about halfway through, but it's really beautiful. Um, and it's already starting to help me reframe my mind around my relationship, not only with food, but just with how I live and how I breathe. And um, if anybody has sort of issues with their relationship with with food specifically, it's a it's a beautiful and poetic book that also offers a lot of practical advice for for nurturing this relationship. And uh, it's a great philosophy and, and something I highly recommend already, even without having finished it. So that's where I'm at right now. That's an hour of me talking, which is probably easily enough for anybody. Um, and I hope you are enjoying these solo episodes. I do really enjoy recording them and putting them out there. And so thank you for allowing me the space to explore these ideas out loud. It's nice to get them outside of my mind. Um, and that's, you know, the beauty of having community to having a partner to even a journal, you know, as a way of getting some of these thoughts outside of our minds and it really helps to process and put them out there. I'm going to finish off the episode by reading a short poem that I wrote while I was in the forest by myself. I've probably written three poems in my life, so it's going to be, uh, makes me nervous, just uh, the idea of sharing this, but maybe it's bad, I don't know. But I enjoyed it, and I wrote it sort of inspired by my little patch of forest in uh, British Columbia, that I got to spend a week in and I feel so grateful and so deeply connected to this little piece of the planet that just brought me so much healing, brought me so much peace. And I crave going back there already for sure. So here it is. Dappled light on bark, ancient moss covers their arms. Which way is west? A family of firs touch the sky. An army opposes them. Eternal songs sung until nightfall. A branch breaks and lands on the floor. Death returns life. The living must eat. Thank you, and I'll see you guys next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.